The scripture reading for today comes from Colossians chapter 1. The entire chapter is printed in your bulletin, but we'll only read verses 15 through 23. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to us in love. Well, good morning. Today, we are kicking off a new sermon series, uh, and we're really, really excited about that. We're going to be, for the next six weeks, walking through the book of Colossians. Um, so in your own time of study, or uh, in your quiet times, or throughout the week with your family, if you want to be reading through this book alongside us, it is rich, it is poignant, it is powerful. I think as a church, if we go through this book together... Um, Man, it'll be so beneficial for us as a body. Um, And here's why. I think the book of Colossians tackles a question that we grapple with often in our 21st century context. And the question is this. Is Jesus Christ, is Jesus Christ the supreme being in all the universe? Is there really someone who is big enough, powerful enough, sovereign and good enough to truly and really be supreme over every single thing in existence. And the book of Colossians in in dazzling ways often depicts Jesus in this light. And most of us this morning, I think, if you're a Christian, um, and if you're not, that's okay, we're very glad that you're here, but if you're a Christian, perhaps you would intellectually agree with that idea. But the question is, do we operate our daily lives in such a way that we believe that? Do we operate every day, day to day, like Jesus is supreme over every square inch of this world, all the way down to our ordinary and everyday life? And if you're like me, what, what I've realized this week, and we're going to get into this later, is I, I don't operate that way. And our hope in this series is that we begin to correct that. That we make a course correction on that. We see where both corporately as the church and then individually we've been missing that mark. So that we can grow more and more in obedience and fidelity to Jesus who is supreme over all. When I um, lived in St. Louis, uh, there was uh, one place that we absolutely had to take every single person that came and visited us to. Um, And it was this place called the City Museum. And this place is a modern marvel. Maybe some of you have heard about it before. Uh, The website of the City Museum describes itself like this. It says it's housed in the 600,000, that's 600,000 square feet 
which was a formal, former international shoe company. The City Museum in St. Louis is an eclectic mixture of playground, funhouse, surrealistic pavilion, and architectural marvel made out of unique and found objects. So there was this artist named Bob Casilli who opened this museum in 1997. He got 20 fellow artists to come, and they made this museum, uh, and they took things from St. Louis. So they took uh, two airplanes, they took old bridges, they took uh, actually old construction cranes, uh, miles and miles of tile, and they repurposed it into the 600,000 square foot building. Now here's the kicker. This is not your ordinary museum where you come and you marvel at the things. What's amazing about the city museum is that you get to play in it. All right, so I've put some pictures up for you guys to see what exactly this place is like. See those cages and that airplane? Uh, you can actually, you see people up there, they're walking in and through uh, those things. Robin, if you want to go to the next slide. This is just a picture of like the inside. That's a slide right as you come in. Uh, you can walk up those stairs. You see those rock things. Robin, you can go to the next one. This is like, uh, this is what it looks like, like throughout the entire thing. I mean, it's 600,000 square feet of this. And what's fascinating about it is it's not just a museum. Like, you're not just looking at this thing. All of it, every square inch of this entire museum, you can climb on, you can play on, you can jump on, you can slide down, you can get hurt on, um, which happened often. There's a 10-story, 100-foot slide. There's wire cages, as you can say, that stretch five floors that you can climb up and down. Uh, There's no place in the city museum that's not available to you. All things are free reign for you. And have you ever had one of those moments um, of grandeur that kind of astound you? When I walked into the city museum and I realized as an adult that that's what I could do, I was blown away. This place was my playground. Um, But here's why I tell you this. The reason I tell you about the city museum is because these verses that we just read in Colossians paint us a picture of of grandeur, of beauty, of supremacy, of totality, unlike anything in all of Scripture. And I've read this passage over and over again this week, and there have been times I've gotten chills as I've sat down and read it. There's been times I've been almost led to tears. There's been times that I sat back almost paralyzed at the grandeur of what this passage is saying. And it depicts the supremacy of Jesus Christ over all things in some of the most poetic and magnificent ways in all of the Bible. And funny enough, it made me think of the City Museum. And I never realized that the City Museum was was and is a masterpiece until I recognized that I had access to all of it, to all things in there. And that changed everything for me. I came in, I was like, wow, this is beautiful. But actually, no, I can engage with all of it. And infinitely more so, infinitely more so, the reason that Jesus Christ is the God of the universe is because he is supreme over all of it. All things. There's not one piece of this entire created order that Jesus doesn't say is his. And once we recognize this, we see that this is a world-altering, life-changing, immensely important truth that changes everything for us. It's the anchor of the gospel, and and without it, the gospel is little more than a story we tell ourselves to feel better. 
But if Jesus is truly supreme over all things from heaven to earth, to people, to relationships, to emotions even, to all things, that really does change how we interact with things, right? And Paul wrote this book because there was a teaching heresy, a theology going around uh, in Colossae, which is the city, uh, and it was not just in the surrounding culture, it was actually in the church too. They were teaching that Jesus was just another power in the universe, that he was either a demigod or another angelic force, a spiritual force in the universe, one that was powerful and important, but not supreme overall. What's so cool about this passage is it doesn't take 15 verses. Within 15 verses that Paul crushes this notion. And in the eight verses we read, he uses the phrase, all things, nine times to talk about what Jesus has supremacy and authority over. Verse 16 says that by him all things were created, that they were created through him and for him. And verse 17 says he is before all things. All things hold together in him. And verse 18, what's translated as in everything is actually the same word, all things. Proclaiming Jesus as preeminent over all things even. And in 20, we see that all things are reconciled in him. You see, all things is the defining theme of this verse that Jesus is supreme over. As I looked into my heart this week, um, I saw something I wasn't proud of. I mentioned earlier that this is something intellectually many of us who proclaim to be Christians can believe Um, but personally, it's a different story, and I say that because, for me personally, it's a different story. I don't want to act like Jesus is supreme over all things, because it will change things for me, and that's scary. It will cause me to relent control of different areas of my life, from my work here as a pastor in this church, to my family, to my future, because it reminds me that I'm actually not in control of this thing, that's even my own life. That I'm not supreme in my own life, that Jesus is. I realized as I looked into my heart, it it would cause me to relent of some quiet cynicism that I have on the world. The forces and power within it that seem to control us politically and socially. Because it reminds me that Jesus is supreme over them as well. Caused me to let go of my frustration sometimes that I feel with the wider church the hurt that sometimes it causes, because it reminds me, I'm not supreme over the church. Jesus Christ is. And to let go of that frustration is to be faithful and trust in him. Maybe you can identify with some of those frustrations this morning, and, and maybe the supremacy of Jesus Christ in and through all and over and for all things will begin to change all of us and inspire hope in us this morning, because I believe that it will. And as we go through Colossians these next six weeks, we're going to see the supremacy of Jesus in so many different facets and ways. And man, I hope that it will begin to speak to some of those lacks of faith and trust that I feel, that I know that we all feel at times. So before we dive into this rich and and magnificent text from Colossians 1, let's let's pray together. Father, Thank you for your son. Thank you that you have exalted him into the highest of places. That you have created all things through and for and in and by him. And God, that changes us. Father, show us how that does that this morning. 
enliven hope and trust in us through it. Strengthen our faith. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So, uh, today we're going to see that we must recognize the supremacy of Jesus in all things. And uh, we, when we do that, we're going to see where he's supreme. So, today we're going to look at three things. One, Jesus is supreme over creation. Two, Jesus is supreme over the new creation, singular. Three, Jesus is supreme over the new creations, plural. As we go through each, I will parse those out for you a little more. So first, Jesus is supreme over creation. Uh, Paul begins in verse 15, which says this. Jesus, he's talking about Jesus here, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And this passage uh, begins by framing Jesus in this lofty and, and powerful way. And Paul is doing something important by framing him this way. And as I mentioned earlier, there were teachings and philosophies going around the city of Colossae that Jesus was one of many gods and one of many powers in the universe. And he starts, Paul does, by answering this directly. He says that not only is Jesus not another one of those beings, he's the image, the actual imprint of God himself. We know this, that he is God incarnate, which is what Paul is saying here. And then he goes on to say something interesting. He says um, he's the firstborn of, of all creation. And that's, that's actually kind of an odd turn of phrase, that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. It's kind of odd because it makes you think, well, does that mean that God created Jesus first? Or uh, that maybe, um, you know, uh, he was the one that was there at the beginning? Does it mean that uh, as the firstborn of all creation uh, was, who knows? I mean, it's kind of confusing, right? So what does that mean? Well, in verse 80, uh, from Psalm 89, verse 27 we see this same word, firstborn, used again. And Yahweh actually says it about David. He says this, I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of earth. And what we know about David is that uh, David was not the firstborn. He was actually the lastborn. Um, So why would the psalmist call David the firstborn there if he was the lastborn? Well, firstborn is used figuratively in this psalm to connote what the second half of the verse is saying that God was going to make David the highest king of all the earth. So, figuratively, firstborn in biblical language means this, God exalting them in power in the highest place over all the other kings. And Paul is recalling this idea here. He's applying it to Jesus. He's telling the people of Colossae that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, that he is exalted over every power, every spiritual force, every local ruler. There's no one above him. He's exalted over all. And he backs this up in verses 16 and 17 when he says, For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. This is fascinating language. He's saying that Jesus is supreme over the entire created order because he created it. They were created by him, also through his power. And not just that, they were also created for him, for his glory. And they also ultimately are held up by him. This is earth shattering. Nothing can exist without him, is what Paul is saying. Nothing would have been created in the first place without him. He was there. Nothing could continue to exist or hold up without him because he is here now upholding it. And nothing could exist or hold up without him in the future. Because he is sovereign over all, and nothing is ever going to take that from him. 
This passage is wrought with the power and authority of our supreme king, Jesus Christ. I love, um, theologian Douglas Moo puts it this way. What holds the universe together is not an idea, it's not a virtue, but a person. The resurrected Christ, without him, electrons would not continue to circle nuclei. Gravity would cease to work. The planets would not stay in their own orbits. As is true of every line in this hymn, there is particular application to the Colossian Christians who perhaps being tempted to find coherence by pursuing other religious options in their context. In response, Paul wants them to understand that things make sense only when Christ is held at the center. Often, here at Hope Chapel, we talk about the importance, actually, of the created order and of creation. We talk about how it's not just a backdrop to be marveled at, but rather something tangible for us to engage with. Creation, this physical space, actually is our home, given to us by a good God who loves it and spoiled by our sin. We talk about how we were made for this place, not to be taken away from this place, but to be restored and renewed with it. But one thing that has really stuck out to me that I feel like I personally have missed in talking about creation is this. Creation is about Jesus Christ. Creation points us to the supreme king of the universe. And it does this in a few ways. First, it shows us his beauty. When we see a beautiful sunset and marvel at its beauty, when we play with a dog in the backyard and feel the joy that comes from chasing him around, when we go scuba diving in the clear waters of the Caribbean, yes, we marvel at God's good creation and we love that, right? But really, we're marveling at Jesus Christ who created it and who for all things are for his glory and his enjoyment, his beauty, so that we can enjoy them and ultimately so that we can engage with and enjoy him ourselves. Creation shows us the beauty of Jesus Christ. Secondly, creation shows us Jesus by magnifying the scope of his grace and redemption. Because this place matters, we can see all that is wrong with the world, all the brokenness that we see and experience from political systems to a ravaging of our ecosystem and the constant pollution of our environment to poverty, to sickness and disease, and all that wreaks havoc on this earth because of sin's brokenness, we're reminded that they are not of Jesus Christ. You see, even in the brokenness of God's creation done by our doing and our rebellion, do we see Jesus? Because we see where his redemption and restoration is still needed here. And that gives us hope. Abraham... Kuyper's famous line always comes back to me when he said, there's not one square inch of creation that Jesus doesn't claim is his. And thirdly and finally, we see Jesus in creation because we can't understand the world without him. Here's what I mean. Science, politics, philosophy, economics, they can all teach us immeasurable things about how the world works and they are gifts to us. God has gifted mankind with souls and brains and intellect so that we can try and work out how the world works, both to its benefit and ours. But what we also know is that science, politics, philosophy, sociology, and the like will always fail to give us true meaning and purpose of everything. They can be tools, but them and of themselves will not give us what we are looking for. This passage shows us that only Jesus Christ, who is supreme over creation, will we find those answers. Only in Jesus Christ 
will the world ultimately make sense? There is not hope for us and there's not hope for the world unless Jesus Christ is supreme over it. We will continue to burn this place up, hurting one another, living nihilistic and purposeless lives unless, unless we truly believe and embody that Jesus Christ is sovereign and supreme over this place. And this brings us to our second point. So we've seen that we must recognize the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, and in doing so, we're changed. So we saw that he's first supreme over creation. Now we're going to see he's supreme over new creation. And verse 18 says this, Jesus, again, talking about Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. I love what Paul does here. He, he first reminds us there's nothing in the entire created order, nothing that has ever or will ever exist that is above, before, or will be more powerful or has more authority than Christ Jesus. And he brings it a little closer to home. And he says that God, that God who became man incarnate, is not just supreme over all things, He is, but he's also supreme over the new creation, his bride, the church. He's talking about the church here. And as the church is the hands and the feet of Christ, he is at the head, leading it, guiding it in righteousness, teaching us and pruning us in him. He is supreme over the church. So verse 18 starts by saying that Jesus is the head of the body, and then uh, the two and a half following verses shows us why he is head and supreme over the church It's because, as verse 18 shows us, that he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So only a God who was there at the beginning, preeminent over all creation, could be the one who knew the purpose of the church, because he created it himself to be his bride. And this is why in verse 19 he says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Paul is reminding us that Jesus is God incarnate, fully God, while fully man. Finally, in verse 20, he reminds us that the church itself is the new creation. Only because through him to reconcile to him all things, whether on earth or in heaven, he made peace by his blood on the cross. It is only by the blood of the cross and the subsequent peace and shalom it brings that the church can both be created and then can function as its hands and feet. So the theologian Mu puts it this way. I think this is actually really helpful for us as a summary of this idea he says in this development may very well have been stimulated by the colossians false teaching itself against people who were arguing arguing that the ultimate spiritual experience had to be found in places in addition to christ paul holds up christ as the one who is the true and only source of life for the body just as christ is preeminent in the universe so he is preeminent with the new creation the assembly of new covenant believers that last bit is so important with the new creation, the new assembly of covenant believers. I ask a few people this week, when they think about that idea of being new creations in Christ, what they think about. And a few people this week, when they hear the idea of a new creation in Christ, they, they think that of God making all things new. Restoring creation, making it new again. This entire created order, new creation in Him. And this is true. Some said they thought about personally being a new creation in Christ. That personally through the forgiveness and reconciliation through the cross of Jesus Christ, they become a new creation. And we're actually going to talk about that in our last point. This is also true. But what I love about these three verses 
is that Jesus is talking about the corporate aspect of being new creations in him. The idea that the church corporately, all of us together, we are a new creation in him. We are his bride. We were chosen, made to embody him in his perfect will, his shalom, his flourishing here and now as the church. The church as a body, and this comes all the way down to us at Hope Chapel, is to be an echo of what was always supposed to be before the mark of sin and what will come one day when Jesus returns and sets everything right again, destroying sin for good. So hear that one more time. The church is a new creation in Christ that is to be an echo of what always was meant to be and a beacon of hope of what will be one day. That is our calling. So what does that mean? Well, first it means this. We must constantly, all of us, be submitting to and looking to the supremacy of Jesus Christ as the head of our body. He is who leads us, who teaches us, and who our trust is in. And the only way, and the most important way that we can do that is by immersing ourselves in his word. God's word to us, his scripture in the Old Testament and the New Testament were given to us. They were given to us so that we can know Jesus Christ who is at the head of the church. Scripture is our direct revelation to Jesus Christ as his new creation. You see, Scripture and Jesus are inseparable because Scripture teaches us who Jesus is and who we are. And that's why he gave it to us, so we could learn about him, so that we can know him. We, the church, have to cling tightly to the truths of his divinely given and perfect word, or else we're not going to know who is the head of our body, who is supreme over us as the church. But secondly, because Jesus is supreme over this new creation, the church, it calls us to embody in him and his reconciling work of shalom and in his word. That's why in, uh, in the world, in verse 20, he says this, through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether in earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. He ends this section on talking about Jesus as the head of the church by pointing to the peace that comes from him alone. And this is a peace that we must be about. This is our mission as the church, is to go where we see brokenness in this city of Greensboro, in the relationships that we see, in the injustices and the inequalities. And we are supposed to engage with them not for our personal benefit but for the glory of jesus christ who is the head of our body that is our purpose for his glory for his sake you see when we do those things when we are about social cultural and spiritual renewal and justice we are embodying his shalom and we are submitting to him who is supreme over us as the church that is our call And it leads us to our third point. So we've seen that we must recognize Jesus as supreme over all things. And we saw that he is supreme over creation. Then we saw he's supreme over new creation as the head of the church. And now we're going to see that he is supreme over his new creations, you and me. What's so cool about this passage is that Paul starts and talks about Jesus' supremacy over the entire cosmos, all things that includes anything Literally, that has ever been in existence. 
And then he brings that down to us and reminds us that the church is his new creation uh, and that he is at the head of it and he's supreme over that. And then he does something incredible. Paul shows us that Jesus Christ, who is before all things, that's in all things, upholds all things, supreme over all is supreme over you and me. He rules and reigns us and is our authority because he has rescued and saved us. And that's why in verse 21, he says, and you. And you. When I said that I was brought to tears this week, this is why. Because he spent six verses talking about the power of Jesus Christ, and then Paul says, and you. This is a picture that I want you to take home this week. We're going to continue on, but I just want to remind you this, that the supreme and sovereign God who holds everything in existence in his hands and through his power also turns his kind eyes to you and to me. Let's not miss that. And then he goes on to say in verse 21, and you, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind to an evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. You see, there's a, there's a pattern that Paul uses here that he actually uses often in his writing. Uh, he, he says this, uh, you once were, but now God has acted, and now you are. And he does this over and over. As you go through Colossians, he'll do it again. If you look at Ephesians, he does it there. You were, but God has done, and now you are. It's an enlightening pattern because it shows us something so important shows us this, we're not the agents of our salvation. It's not us. Once we were alienated and hostile, Paul says, but now we have been reconciled through the death of Jesus Christ so that we can be holy and blameless and above reproach. This is so helpful for us to remember because we are not supreme over our own salvation even. It is Jesus Christ who became man, who walked among us, lived a perfect life, died our death because of our rebellion, who defeated the curse of sin in his resurrection, he is the active agent. That is what saves us. Only the supreme God of the universe could do that for me and for you. Only in Jesus Christ do we find reconciliation. So what about the holy and blameless part? Is that our calling? Are you holy and blameless and above reproach? Well, yes and no. Here's what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying that It's his desire for each of us as new creations in Christ to be just that. His new creations throughout the entire world. The holy and blameless part is embodying Jesus' holiness and goodness and flourishing in every aspect of our lives. Not to gain salvation, but because of it. Not to earn God's favor, but because we already have it. Not out of duty, to the supreme God, but out of reverence and love for him who died for us. So how are we new creations in Christ? Well, first, we're new creations in principle, and that we have been made new through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when God looks at us, he sees the holy and perfect record of Jesus over us. 
Second, we're new creations in practice by working the Holy Spirit in and through us to prune us and fashion us more and more after the person and work of Jesus, embodying his righteousness and that flourishing that we just talked about in the world. And finally, we are new creations in Christ and will continue to be in the future, in the new heavens and the new earth, which we will collectively, as the new creation, the church, hope and look for coming one day. So what does that mean for you and for me? I think it means primarily this. The fact that Jesus Christ is supreme over us as his new creations gives us the greatest hope in the world. Because we know, we know that our salvation, our need, our sustenance, and our purpose on this earth is not dependent on anything other than the person and work of Jesus Christ. And even more importantly, maybe it's not dependent on you. It's not dependent on me. He is supreme over the entire cosmos, yes. He is supreme over the entire church, yes. But ultimately, he is supreme over you and me. And that is a comfort. And that is a freedom for us. But you know what else is freeing? It's freeing because it reminds us that Jesus is supreme over us. And that means that the gospel is not about us. Hear this. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not about you. It's not about me. But what's even better is that it includes us. We get to be a part of this gospel work. The gospel is not about you and it's not about me. If it it was, then we'd be some narcissistic new creations. No, the gospel is salvation for us. It's hope for us. It's freedom for us. It's purpose for us. But it is not about us. It includes us. It is about Jesus Christ who is supreme and in authority over all things. Who wants to redeem and restore this place and he wants to redeem and restore us. And the greatest gift he can give us is to be included into that bigger story of redemption and restoration. We actually are freed from thinking that the gospel is about us. Because if it was, we would be crushed under that weight. And Jesus Christ was crushed for us so that we could be included in it. So what's your task then? Be included in it. Allow that grace and that gospel to wash over you and to include you in it. N.T. Wright says this, There is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. The task of evangelism is therefore best understood as the proclamation that Jesus is already Lord and that in him God's new creation has broken into history and that all people are therefore summoned to submit to him in love, worship, and obedience. You can be a new creation in Christ because you are included in that story. And you can submit to him in love, worship, and obedience, and then you can go out and you can proclaim that to the world. Um, one of my favorite parts about the City Museum is I, I always encountered something new when I went. I found a new place that I could crawl on or get terrified of um, or fall from or almost break an arm at. Um, we were never bored there. We were always pushing the reins, uh, or sorry, the limits of where we could have rain and terror over all things in the museum. Um, 
It really is an exhilarating place. Like, if you ever drive through St. Louis, you should go. Or if you ever visit, it's amazing. But here's what's cool about the gospel. In the same way, if you ask one another, our elders or our staff, what the gospel is, each would probably say something a little different. They might say the gospel is about sinners saved by grace, and they'd be right. They would say the gospel is about redeeming creation and new creation, and they'd be right. Say the gospel is about healing relationships, and they might be right. They would say the gospel is about restoring broken injustices in the world, and they would be right. The gospel of Jesus Christ is in all things, and it's only through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ will all things be redeemed and restored. The gospel touches all things, and Jesus Christ is supreme over all things. And we can cling to that this morning. We can rest in that this morning, and we can have hope in that this morning. And as we come to the table, let that be our rallying cry. Amen.